0: I've been preaching a series entitled, It Is Finished. If you're a first-time visitor here, I know most churches have a cross standing up somewhere. Uh, This is a prop that we put here specifically for this series, which really started at Easter time. The truth of what Jesus said when he said, It Is Finished. It was not a corny ending to, I'm about to die now. You know, in some of the old westerns, somebody would get shot two or three times and they'd fall back for four or five minutes before they fall to the ground. This wasn't Jesus' attempt to let us know he's about to die. Jesus was making a theological declaration. The curse that came on humanity from the fall of Adam and Eve was broken, and God's restoration and deliverance from the curse, the plan of salvation. Salvation is not just salvation of, from my sins to get to heaven. It is salvation from everything that went wrong. How many of you want God to help you with everything that went wrong? Amen. Well, his salvation covers everything that went wrong. Praise God. And so I started this series and I've been preaching on the different places where Jesus shed blood in the process of the crucifixion. The very first place he shed blood was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Bible says he sweat, drops of sweat and blood. Medically speaking, internally, his his, uh, emotional state was such where his body was breaking down. It is a physical possibility, an extreme one, to actually start to sweat drops of blood under intense emotional pressure and stress. uh, It is a, a physical reality. And that's the first place that Jesus started to shed his blood. The second place that he shed his blood was when they whipped his back. And uh, when he shed the blood in the Garden of Eden, it was the battle of wills, and he freed our will from the sin nature so that we could be free from sin and start walking in righteousness. When they whipped his back, his blood was shed. It says, by these stripes you were healed. Amen. How many of you here have ever been healed by the blood of Jesus Christ? Can I see your hand? Absolutely. By these stripes, you are healed. The third place that Jesus started to shed his blood was, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, when, when they um, uh, started to slap him and bruise him. And uh, the Bible says, by his bruises, he has set us free from emotional scars and wounds. And I've been going through this here, this whole series. And uh, <clears throat> uh, can I have that bottle of water again just for a moment? Thank you. I got a tickle in my throat. Nothing funny about it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, the fourth place was when they put a crown of thorns on his head. And again, that speaks about how we were cursed uh, to the point where thorns and thistles would oppress us and life would be difficult. But the crown of thorns, when his blood touched those crowns, Jesus raised us up and made us the head again and not the tail. Can I get an agreement? We're going to look at the fifth place <clears throat> that Jesus shed his blood. And so my sermon title for the ser- in this series is Bloodied Hands. Bloodied Hands. The fifth place that Jesus shed his blood was from his pierced hands. Psalm 22, if you've ever taken time to read it, I remember reading it when I was about uh, 12, 13 years old, somewhere in there, and I was just reading through my Bible, and I come across this psalm, and I got so excited, I never heard anyone preach on it at that time, I was just a young fella, and uh, I started to realize, wow, this must be prophetic of the crucifixion. And then later, of course, I found out that it is. David was prophetically writing about the crucifixion of the Messiah who would come. And uh, in that prophecy, he says, the Lord God said to my Lord. David says, God said to my Lord. And Jesus actually used that verse one time talking to the Pharisees. And he said, who was David's Lord when he was talking to God and he said God, Jehovah, spoke to my Lord, my master. You see, in Hebrew culture, descendants are not greater than the forefathers. And so Jesus referenced that. It comes from Psalm 22. And so here in Psalm 22, verse 16, it says, they pierced my hands and my feet. I mean, this is like uh, a thousand years before the Greeks invented crucifixion as a method of execution, and David is penning by the prophetic spirit of God, they pierce my hands and my feet, amazing, he says in verse 18, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. What we see in Mark, in the gospel of Mark, in chapter 15, it says, and they crucified him. We know the method of crucifixion was that they would be nailed through their hands and nailed through their feet. They crucified him. In other words, they put nails in his hands. Watch this, verse 24, dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. The soldiers divided up his clothes and cast slot to see who would get his clothing. Amazing that David prophesied this so many years beforehand. How many of you can agree? It is amazing. This is supernatural, okay? Uh, verse 16 and 18 in Psalm 22 puts it together. Mark 15, verse 24, he takes those two points, and they are put together in one verse. They crucified him. They nailed his hands to that cross. They divided up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each one would get. I want you to note something here because there's a lot of symbolism here, meaningful symbolism, not irrelevant stuff, meaningful. You see, when your hands are tied, when a strong man comes in, he binds you up and he steals your house. When your hands are tied, when your hands are powerless to act. The thief comes and he will rob you blind. And so this symbolism here is that while Jesus' hands were being nailed to the cross, his possessions were being plundered. You see, that's part of the curse. But Jesus died to break the curse. The Bible says that on the cross he became the curse. And so he acted out Many things in the crucifixion were actions of the curse and the blood of Jesus was washing over the curse and breaking the curse off of humanity. So while his hands are nailed to the cross, while your hands have often been tied and the strong man of darkness has come to rob you blind, Jesus died on that cross hand tied to that cross and they were stealing his last possessions but the blood of Jesus was shed even on his hands. Come on, can I get an agreement here? Before I even break it down right there in the symbolism, we see this picture of the redeeming nature of God and the power of the blood to break every curse. Repeat after me, the blood of Jesus Jesus. breaks every curse off of my life. He sets me free. free. Amen. Amen. The significance of Jesus bleeding from his hands is very important. I'm going to bring out two points this morning as we look at the importance of Jesus bleeding from his hands. You could say, well, it's just coincidence. I mean, of course he had to bleed from his hands. That's how you do crucifixion. Isn't it interesting that crucifixion didn't exist in David's time? Historically, we have no reference that David's hands or feet were ever pierced. It's not like the modern trend today that young people get ear piercings, nose piercings, belly button piercings, and other kinds of piercings. No, David wasn't talking about a trend. He was prophesying. Very interesting that the Messiah would come during the Roman Empire. Daniel prophesied that the Messiah would come during the Roman Empire. You see, unfortunately, when we try to do church really fast and get everyone out, all you get is the rapper. And... And, and that is part of the reason why Christianity is so weak today. We need more than just the wrapper. We need more than just the wrapper. We need the meat of the Word of God. You see, Daniel prophesied uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, one of the greatest empires that ever were. The king has a dream, and he sees a, a statue, And the head is gold and then the chest is silver and the thighs and the the waist are uh, uh, bronze, thank you. And the feet uh, are clay and iron. And he sees a, a hand appear in the dream and it cuts out a rock from the heavens. And this rock comes to earth and it comes to the feet and crushes the whole statue. Nebuchadnezzar says, This dream's been blowing me away. He calls all his magicians, all of his astrologers. What does this mean? Listen, you, you take the supernatural out of the Bible. People want to take it out of the New Testament, they want to take it out of the church. You take the supernatural actions of God out of the Bible, and you will have a condensed version, extremely condensed. And Daniel starts to prophesy, he interprets this dream. The gifts of the Spirit are the natural working of God's Spirit. If you want to stop the gifts of the Spirit, you have to actually stop and say, Holy Spirit, we don't want that part of you. We don't want that part of God. God forbid. And so Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, he says, this is the dream you had and this is what it means. And the gold head is you. And the silver chest is the kingdom that will come after you the kingdom that came after the babylonians was the uh, medes and the persians and the waste made of uh, bronze uh, is the third kingdom that will come and that was the who knows the greeks he said and then the fourth kingdom the feet is the fourth kingdom that will come it's the roman empire isn't it amazing Jesus came during the Roman Empire preaching the kingdom of God has come to earth. Jesus is the rock of our salvation, okay? And Jesus demolishes the representation of human kingdoms And Daniel says, this rock that you saw in your dream got so big, it filled the whole earth. The knowledge of the kingdom of God is filling the whole earth. Come on, I think this is a happy time. I mean, this is when we get excited and say God's word is absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. So Jesus comes at that very time, a time when crucifixion, was the means of national execution. The Greeks actually invented it, then the Romans just tweaked it and perfected it. If we could use such a terrible expression, they perfected it. But Jesus was crucified. It wasn't coincidental that he bled from his hands. Every place he bled, he was breaking a curse off of humanity. God doesn't want humans to live under a curse God created mankind to reflect his glory. God created mankind so that he could have fellowship and there can be interaction. The fall and the condition of the United States of America and the condition of the world is the fingerprints of the kingdom of darkness ever since Lucifer became the god of this world when Adam forfeited his right, his token of control. Jesus was pierced in his hands and he started to shed blood so that he could break the curse of The spirit of fruitlessness, the spirit of struggling, and the spirit of strife. The first thing he did, the curse of natural fruitlessness, struggle, and striving is broken. You see, Adam in the garden, he had it all made. He didn't even need a watering hose. God designed such an automated system that regularly the ground would bring water up and it would water all the fruit trees. Do you know that when God, and you study it, read it slowly, take time to drink it in. When you read God putting Adam in the garden in Eden, God says, now I want you to maintain it and keep it. There's very little work for Adam to do. But when he fell, God said, now a curse is going to come on the ground. And you're going to struggle, you're going to toil just to have a living. I want you to know that that's not where God had placed humanity. That's not where God put man in his dreams, in his vision, in his planning. God never intended for you to struggle. This is part of the curse of the fall. When God wanted to bless the descendants of Abraham, he broke the curse of fruitlessness. He broke the curse of struggling and striving. He blessed the work of their hands. Let me prove it to you from the Bible. This isn't my theory. This is the word of God. What did God do? Here's Abraham. He caught God's heart. Here's a guy who just believed in God trusted him like a little kid. The way a little kid trusts its parent. You know, we could tell Judah almost anything, and for a moment, you know, we could be playing around, and three months later, he'll repeat the same phrase. This is my grandson. He'll repeat the same phrase phrase that we said because he literally imagined it and believes it to be real. And we need to be able to trust God like Abraham did. He trusted God like a little kid would trust his dad. And because of Abraham's obedience, God said, I'm going to bless your descendants. You see, God never intended for humanity to be struck down with oppression. God never imagined or I shouldn't say imagined. God never planned or destined for us to be under a curse. So here's Abraham's descendants, and God says in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 8, the Lord, who? Let's try it again. Who? The Lord. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. Isn't that interesting? In the garden, when Adam fell and he came out of the garden, God said, the ground will make you sweat and toil and there will be thorns and thistles and life is gonna be tough. Now God finds a man named Abraham who touches his heart and he says, I'm gonna bless your descendants and the first thing God does is he reverses the curse and he speaks a blessing. Are you getting this, church? Are you getting this? He says, the Lord will send the blessing on your barns And on everything you put your hands to. Everybody raise your hands. Everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. Who's going to bless us? God. God said the Lord said that he will bless the descendants of Abraham. He will bless their hands. He will bless their barns, and anything they put their hands to will be blessed. Deuteronomy 28, verse 12. The Lord will open the heavens and the storehouse of his bounty, and he will send rain on your land in season, and he will bless all the work of your hands You will lend to many nations but will borrow from none. You see, one of the sad things is that the Apostle Paul pens a phrase in the New Testament and he says, doctrines of demons have entered into the church. That was 2,000 years ago while they were in revival. Do you think through tradition... Over the next 2,000 years, do you think a few doctrines of demons might have entered the church? Philosophies, teachings, precepts that don't line up with the heart of God or the character of God. Listen, you, you could accuse me of saying something totally out of character of my heart. And if my kids were to hear you, they'd say, my dad didn't say that. I know my dad. The issue is we need to know God like that. When we understand the character of God, we'll know what God is saying and what God did not say. And it says very clearly here, God said, I will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, and uh, send rain on your land in season. I will bless all the works of your hands. You will lend to many, but will borrow from none. Deuteronomy 30, verse 9. Then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in all the works of your hands. We have developed a a belief system in Christianity that to be poor is to be godly. No, to be poor is broke, so broke you can't help the next person. Now, I'm not talking about chasing wealth, I'm not talking about I gotta have, you know, two Lear jets. I'm not talking about the extremes. The enemy takes things to extremes and then he wants to eradicate or invalidate the truth of God's word. We're not talking about extremes. Listen, God wants to bless you so that you can have a smile on your face. I know you could be poor and happy and you can be rich and miserable. I get it. But I'd like to be more financially forward and happy than being broke and happy. Can I get an agreement? If you study the Old Testament, every great man of God, God would bless them and they always had everything they needed. Now again, I'm not talking about chasing wealth and making the wealth of this world your God or your idol. But I am saying that it is a lie from the pit of hell that God wants you to be penniless. It is a lie from the pit of hell. It is not the character of God for you to be broke. It is not the character of God for you to be a slave to financial institutions. It is not the character of God for you to constantly be begging. The sons of God are meant to represent the blessing of heaven. Can I get an agreement? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so God took Abraham's descendants and he said, I'm going to speak blessing over you. I'm going to bless the works of your hand. I'm going to prosper you. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, it is ironic. It is interesting. It is spiritually symbolic that in the same verse as his hands are nailed to the cross, they're robbing him blind. Jesus came to break that curse. Good preaching, Pastor Rob. Good preaching. Nothing in the word of God is by coincidence. When they nailed Jesus' hands to the cross, the curse of fruitlessness and struggle and striving was broken. We need to get it out of our religious mindset. That God wants us to be poor. No, he wants us to be humble. Humility and poverty don't necessarily go hand in hand. And wealth and pride don't necessarily go hand in hand. Thank God for wealthy people who are generous. Amen? The love of money is a trap. The love of it. But money can be used as a great vehicle to advance the gospel and bless your neighbor. The best thing that can happen to a poor person is for you not to be one of them. You can't give if you have nothing to give. If you can't pay your own electricity, how are you going to be generous to God's house? How are you going to be generous to those that are poor? Absolutely. And again, I I am not trying to make you make money or wealth your God or your goal. No, let's put this into perspective. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first. If the kingdom of God is not a priority in your life, if the things of God are not a priority in your life, that's okay. The promises don't apply to you. But if the things of God are a priority in your life, the promises apply to you. So Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. What were all the things he was talking about? He said, the lilies of the field don't toil and yet they're dressed more beautifully than even Solomon in his rich garments. All these things. The clothing Solomon had. God dresses the lilies of the field even better. Put the kingdom of God first in all these things. He said the sparrows, they don't toil, but they always have food. Isn't it funny? They don't toil, but they always have food. And then Christians are stuck in a rut under a curse, believing that God wants you to go through life suffering. No, God wants you to go through life victorious. He wants you to go through life like the last Adam, a conqueror, an overcomer. Amen. God didn't change his character in the Old Testament. And for Abraham's descendants, I'm going to bless your hands. I'm going to prosper your barns. I'm going to open the windows of heaven. But then when you get washed in the blood of Jesus, I'm going to make you poor and miserable. It's a contradiction. It's a contradiction that the devil wants you to believe. Why? Why? He wants the wealth of the world to be in the hands of the wicked. I'm gonna say it again. He wants the wealth of the world to be in the hands of the wicked. It's not God who wants the wealth of the world to be in the hands of the wicked. How many of you have ever said to yourself, if I won the lottery, I could do this and help this one and help that one, and I could do a lot of good with it. How many of you have ever said it? Uh, I'm not gonna ask you how many of you have kept your promise. <laughs> But in that heart, there's a desire to do good. And God wants to bless us so that we can carry out those desires and do good and be generous one to another. It's interesting in that same passage when Jesus was talking about wealth, he says, prepare for yourself a wallet or a pocketbook that won't wear out. Now, he actually said a purse, okay? And uh, I don't have a purse. No, 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 you won't find me walking around with a purse. Thank you. There's no gender confusion here. I'm glad you have a purse. But whether it's a purse, whether it's a wallet, this is what Jesus said. Prepare for yourselves purses that will never wear out. Now he's not talking about the item for the item's sake. He's talking about the fact finances in there. And this is what he says. You read it. You go home and study it. I can't do all the homework for you. Go home and study it. Look up that passage. Jesus said, prepare for yourselves purses that don't wear out. And what does he say? Give generously to the poor. You can't give generously to the poor if you're one of the poor. You see, when you give to the poor, God wants to put more in your purse. He wants to bless it. And so when Jesus died on the cross, his hands are tied to that cross. They're robbing him blind, but he's shedding blood to break that curse. If that's been your religious mentality, I encourage you by the Holy Ghost to take that mentality and call it for what it is. It is a lie. That's not what God wants. I'm not talking about becoming millionaires. I'm not talking about extremes. I'm talking about being God's kids and having everything that we need and more so. If that wasn't the heart of God, why would he say give and I'll give back to you. Press down. Have you ever put flour in a container? I mean, whenever I'm measuring something, I tap that container because I want as much in the container as I can get. All right? I'm making a cake. I want it bigger. I'm going to pound that flower down so that it is jam-packed. He says, I will give back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over the top. That's the character of God. That's the picture of God. That's the heart of God. Why? So that we can be generous, so that we can be givers. Listen, God is generous. In this church, I deliberately give first-time visitors an extremely Beautiful, uh, money worthy or uh, not expensive, but we give gifts that are becoming of our father. Why? Somebody said to me, oh, you're really getting carnal following uh, human, uh, uh, you know, tactics to try to bribe people to come to your church. Really? Mega churches give you a pen, one pen with their name written all over it. I give you a bag filled with a Bible, a devotional, a DVD about a tremendous miracle that happened in this place. We give you things to reveal God. Why? So that if you leave here and you haven't asked Jesus in your heart, maybe you'll be thumbing through the gift packet and you'll have the opportunity to ask Jesus into your life. Why would I spend money giving out something so expensive for a discipleship course when not everyone will always go through to the end because my Father will provide for me. If I put value on people, if I tell them they're worth it, if I stop being a cheap, (laughs) whatever, See, I'm absolutely confident that when I'm trying to elevate the church and elevate following Jesus, my father's hand is on me. He's backing me, and he'll just bring the finances. Now, we're not throwing it around wastefully. I'm investing in the most important thing, people. I'm investing in their walk with Jesus. Hello? Absolutely. Absolutely. And God continues to bless. God is generous. So as a church, I model this church on trying to be generous. We try to be generous in many, many ways. Why? Because I'm not worried about money. If I loved money, I wouldn't give it away like that. If money owned me, I could not do what we do. But I understand that I'll have a purse that doesn't wear out. If I'm generous like my father is generous. Come on, someone give the Lord an amen. Amen. So while they're nailing his hands to the cross and he can't do anything with his hands, they're stealing his clothes. Jesus shed that blood so that your hands will be blessed. Just like in Deuteronomy. I want everyone to stand with me for a moment. Stand with me. I want you to put your hands up like this. You're not surrendering to a thief. You're surrendering to your father. And I want you to say, my hands, my hands are not cursed anymore. They are washed in the blood of Jesus. And the curse of fruitlessness, the curse of, fruitlessness. the curse of struggle curse and, of struggle and striving, of striving may have been on my family, may have been on my forefathers, but it will not be on me. In Jesus' name, the curse is broken, and the blessings of God are in my hand, and the blessing of God blesses my hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You didn't take your seats, that's the first thing he did. That was the natural, but then he did something supernatural. He broke and released a supernatural blessing through our hands as well. The second thing was he, spiritual fruitfulness, he brought authority and power. He restored it back to us. He brought it back to us, praise God. When God was getting ready to take the Hebrew people out of Egypt, A nation that worshipped many false gods. Many false gods. A powerful nation. The most powerful nation at that time. How many of you think that there was a strong demonic atmosphere around that nation? How many of you can imagine that? They worshipped well over 10 different deities. As God is getting ready to take his people out of this bondage to slavery in the natural and under an atmosphere of demonic presence as god is getting ready he does something really weird and really cool he meets up with moses in the middle of the desert and in exodus chapter 4 this is what god does with moses verse 2 to verse 7 so god says to moses the lord said to him what is in your hand he said a rod And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground. It became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. We always see the devil, the serpent, as a head. God says, take him by the tail. Because that's where the enemy is supposed to be. Your hand has power over him take him by the tail, and he reached out his hand, and he caught it, and it became a rod in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Now he does something else. That wasn't enough. He says, furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. Put it inside your cloak. And he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous, like snow. And he said, now put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom, and behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. These were miraculous things that God put in Moses' hand. Other Hebrews didn't have this power. God took one man to be a leader and lead this nation out of a kingdom that was a world ruling empire and very demonic. He was going to set these people free from slavery. Don't tell me God doesn't care about your circumstances. Don't tell me God doesn't care about your environment. Don't tell me God doesn't care about whether or not you have a baby or whether or not you have a job or whether or not you can meet your bills. Because if God didn't care about it, he could have said, well, you could still be my people and be slaveries because it's blessed to be poor and it's blessed to be in hardship and all of your suffering glorifies me, so I'll just leave you there. No, the God of heaven, when he wants to make someone a son, when he wants to make someone a representative of who he is, he doesn't curse them with disease. He doesn't make them suffer through life. He sets them free and makes them the head, not the tail. So God is preparing a man and he says, Moses, there's power in your hands. The power wasn't in the rod. The power was in Moses' hands. Very interesting. God said, show it to Pharaoh. Very interesting. The first time Moses threw the rod down, Pharaoh calls his magicians. They throw their rods down, seven of them. And there are seven serpents. Na 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 we can do it too. What I like about it is that the serpent from Moses' rod ate. The other seven serpents. Tell me there's no symbolism in that. You see, God gave him power over circumstances, gave him power over the natural by taking a rod and making it an animate object. Putting his hand in here, and now it's got leprosy, and then putting it back in, and now it's healed. Gave him power over sickness and disease. And he led the people out in victory. Now, watch this Mark 16, verse 17 to 18. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands. And if they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. You see, your hands are symbolism of strength. If you had no hands, there's so much that you could not do. Nailed to the cross, he couldn't stop. Common Roman thieves stealing his last bit of clothing. The symbolism. God doesn't want your hands tied and He doesn't want your hands cursed. And, he's gonna, and He has unleashed them in the natural and blessed them in the natural, but He's also unleashed them in the supernatural and blessed them supernaturally. Amen. Jesus said that common believers, He didn't say the apostles, He didn't say the prophets, the pastors, the teachers of the evangelists. He said common people. Listen, what did He do with Abraham's descendants? He blessed everything their hands did. Is that what it says? Hang on, let me go back 20 minutes and start preaching again. (laughs) Does it say he will bless everything they put their hands to? All right. Newsflash. It's not the biological seed of Abraham that are the promised seed but it is everyone who believes on the lordship of Jesus Christ. So if it's the heart of God to bless the hands of the descendants of Abraham so that everything they put their hands to will be prosperous and it'll be blessed, Why does the church have such a mental difficulty in understanding Jesus said that sheer believers will lay their hands on the sick and they shall recover? He didn't say maybe. He didn't say if it's God's will. He didn't say if you fast for 10 days. He said in my name they shall cast out devils and they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. I believe in miracles, and I believe that God will do miracles to anyone who believes in his name. Amen. Jesus, by shedding blood on his hands, was breaking the curse that had come on mankind. And Jesus himself says, I give you authority in my name. Here are the keys of the kingdom, and nothing shall by any means hurt you or harm you. He gave us our hands back and he blessed them. He put a supernatural blessing on our hands. Your wife is sick, your husband's sick, your kid is sick. The doctor says, the internet says, this could be unto death man, you put those hands on there and you say, Father, I thank you. You said everything my hands do will prosper. Hallelujah. Jesus, you said that in my hands when I pray in your name, the sick will be made well. The power is in you. The power is in grace and faith. The power is the name of Jesus Christ. There is power in that name. Too many churches don't believe it. And too many churches believe it and that's it. I challenge you, I dare you, I want you, I encourage you. Let the name of Jesus live. Put your hands on the sick. Put your hands on one another and pray and believe there is power in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You know what the difference is between an evangelist and a common believer? You know why healing evangelists get people healed and common believers don't? Because the church hasn't taught common believers that there's no difference between the evangelist and them. The power is in the name of Jesus. It's not in my title. Jesus restored power and authority. Adam and Eve had tremendous power and authority before the fall. God has put power and authority in your hands. And he wants your hands to bless you in the natural. And he wants your hands to bless you supernaturally. And God will be in it. Mark 10 verse 19. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of of the enemy, and nothing will harm you. See, authority has been put back in our hands. You know why? Like with Moses, God is looking for people to help lead mankind out of Egypt. Jesus is the last Adam. He's the firstborn of many brethren, the Bible says. We got the same DNA. He's God. I'm not. But he has given me power and authority. And in his name, we speak to demons. Come on. Your house comes under attack. You start coming under attack. You start suffering with depression. Oh, well, I've always suffered with depression. My heart goes out to you. I used to. I used to be so depressed, my wife couldn't stand to be around me because I would get so negative. I was a youth pastor, and I would just sink in depression. And finally, one day, I started to put the Word of God in my mouth, and I started to say what the Word of God says about me. And I got to tell you, where I used to have high highs and low lows, now I have high highs and little lows. And when I get to a little low, I put the Word of God back in my mouth again. You see, we're not meant to be trodden underneath. We're not meant for demons to use us for target practice. Hello? We're not meant to be casualties in a world gone crazy. The last thing I read, the Bible says I'm meant to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Too many of us are worried about being casualties in a world gone topsy-turvy. No, the world is topsy-turvy, but I've got divine order in my life. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm not going down, I'm going up. Hallelujah. The victory is mine in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Come on, give the Lord a shout of praise. Yes. 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 If you're new to this, I'm not boasting on Rob Scarallo. Put Rob Scarallo in the flesh and he stinks like everything else that's half dead. I'm boasting on who I am in Jesus Christ. I'm boasting on who Jesus Christ is. I'm boasting on the goodness of my Father in heaven. Hallelujah. Thank you. With our hands, we can impart healing. With our hands we can release the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts eight, seventeen. Peter and John place their hands on them, they receive the Holy Ghost. There's power in these hands. If you look at your hands and you look at yourself as stupid and ordinary, then you're not seeing you the way God sees you. According to your faith, you want to believe you're stupid, you'll perform that way. But you want to believe that you're a new creation. What did God make? A new creation that's broken? What did God create? A new creation that's decrepit? What did God create? A new creation? God creates a new creation and it's as broken and messed up as the last creation? No! If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things are new. Not who I used to be. Why should I let my mind think like the old Rob Scarallo when my mind can think like Jesus Christ? Amen. Fill your heart, fill your mind, fill your mouth with the words of God because if you don't, the devil will fill you with the words of hell. Amen. Acts nine seventeen, Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you can see again, healing hands. Now be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, the reason why the church has to pray for a revival is because we don't understand what's already in the church. If we understood what was in us, we would be in a revival. Amen. Amen. With your hands, you can impart the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Acts 19.6, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They spoke in tongues and prophesied. is amazing? The church can accept all that stuff in the Old Testament when they were under law, but half the church wants to say, well, it's not for today, and now we're under life. So under law, they had the gifts of healing and prophecy and interpretation of dreams, but it's not for today. The kingdom of darkness is very happy to gobble up center stage and manifest supernatural wonders and entertain the imagination of your children as they read Harry Potter and every other demonic inspired thing that points a finger to the occultic world. You understand that the Gospels through signs and wonders points the finger to God and the occult will always point the finger to the dark side. It's put power in your hands. 1 Timothy 4.14 this is my last scripture. Neglect not the gift that is in you. Paul says to Timothy don't neglect the gift that is in you which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands. He shed his blood on his hands. On the cross, he became the curse. And on the cross, everything that was cursed, he put blood on it to redeem it from the curse. These hands are redeemed from the curse of fruitlessness. I don't know if you notice in that scripture in Deuteronomy, one of the scriptures says, even your womb will be fruitful. We had t- two testimonies uh, Tina, I love the way you shared that. Where are you? Are you here or are you with the baby? Yeah, she shared that so beautifully. Didn't your heart just pound within you? Hey, that's, that's what God looks like. You don't believe in God? That's what God looks like. I started crying for her. I could see a little girl. All she ever wants to have is a baby, and she's carrying a little doll around. And, and here she is, 10 years. She's married now. She can't be a mommy I see God smiling and touching her womb. You want to know what God looks like? That's what God looks like. That's the face of your father in heaven. He's a healer. He's a deliverer. He's a provider. Would you stand with me right now? I said earlier. I think Grace and Faith is is a good church. I love it. I'm biased, but I love it. But this church cannot take you to heaven. You won't go to heaven because you come here. Some churches will sell you that. Sell it. I'll tell you up front, membership here won't take you to heaven. God doesn't want a relationship through a membership card. He wants a relationship, one-on-one. He wants to know you. He wants to talk to you. He wants you to talk to him. And the Bible teaches that it's only through Jesus Christ, not through the church, through Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father unless they come through me. In another passage, Jesus said, I am the gate. He didn't say the church is the gate. I am the gate. You have to personally want to accept him. I've been talking about the power of hands. Put your hand. Make a decision. I'm going to put my hand in his hand. Jesus, take my hand. I want you to live with me. I want you to live inside me. I want your blood to cover me. Break every curse, and best of all, wash away my sin. I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm asking you to let Jesus Christ come into your life. The difference is so vast that one is worthless and the other is worth everything. A lot of people belong to a lot of churches, and it won't do them any good. Same is true of this house. I want you to come. But if your hope is in this organization, you missed it. If your hope is in this preacher, you really missed it. I give you Jesus. Men, don't be so cowardly that you can't say yes to Jesus Christ. I love the fact that the opening pages of the gospel Jesus is calling rugged men. They even stunk. They were fishermen. They stunk to high heaven. That's how rough and gruff and manly they were. They would have been roofers like you, Brian. Men. Women. He had women all around him. Don't let pride stop you. If you have never asked Jesus in your heart today, right now, Raise your hand. I want to put my hand in his hand. Come on, raise your hand and say, I want Jesus. Thank you. One, two, thank you. You can put your hands down. Who else wants to ask Jesus into their heart right now? Come on, raise your hand. Say, that's me. I don't want religion. I want Jesus. I want Jesus. I want the real thing. I don't want an institution. Come on. I feel like there's a man here that God's talking to. There's a man here right now. And God has been talking to you, and it's time to say yes to Jesus. Who is that man? I just sense it in my heart. God loves you, buddy. (laughs) God loves you. He won't evaporate on you like your father did. Those words will mean something to you in your heart, as your dad would just evaporate. God's not like that. He wants to be around for the long haul. God loves you. Who is that young man? Who is that man? God wants to come and have a relationship with you. Well, if that's you, see me afterwards. Please, please, not try to embarrass anyone. Well, we got two beautiful women raised their hands today and uh, probably others online. I want you guys to repeat a prayer after me. The whole church is going to repeat this prayer. We're going to ask Jesus to come into our life. It's not religion. It's relationship with the Son of God. Everyone pray this prayer. Dear God, thank you for loving me. I have made some big mistakes. And there are things I regret. And yet you love me. Thank you, God, for loving me enough to dress up as a human and die on that cross. Jesus Christ, I accept what you did on the cross and I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life. I want relationship with you. Forgive me of all my mistakes, my sins, my bad decisions. Wash them under the blood break the curse off my life. I accept you, Jesus Christ, to be my Lord, to be my God, to be my Savior, to be my friend. Thank you for coming into my heart today. Amen. Now, Father, for those that prayed that prayer For the first time, meaningfully here and online. Holy Spirit. (laughs) Yeah, just fill the emptiness of their heart. The vacuum, fill it. Let them sense your love, the love of God right now. Let them sense the release of every weight and every curse. In Jesus' name, I speak life into their hearts. In the name of Jesus, I thank you for it, Father. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Come on, give these young ladies a big round of applause. for an awesome decision. God bless them. Amen. Most, most, most everyone here has done that. If you've done that, put your hand up. Turn around. Look how many people have done that. Don't feel embarrassed. You, Good. Good. You're in good company. We get excited when people ask Jesus in their heart. Away with religion. I want the real thing. Amen. Don't give me monopoly money when it's my birthday. I want the real thing. It's like with Jesus. I don't want religion. Give me Jesus. Hey, turn around, give someone a high five.